Well, good morning, good old sports fans. It's raining here, but hey, every day is still a good day to be a sports fan, and we're glad to have you uh, here as a part of our show. Going to have a uh, guest on, of course, Mr. Elwin Henderson himself is going to be back on the show uh, for us to talk about the Cowboys, give us some insight maybe into the uh, Houston Texans situation, so we're looking forward to having him on uh, here in just a little bit. But uh, we wanted to dive into a couple things uh, here first, but hey, even though it's rainy day, every day is the Super Bowl around here, baby. Super Bowl? Yeah. got to be on the top of your game. Well, we got to get through the NFC and AFC championships first. Well, I mean, it was a hyperbole. Every day has got to be your best day was my point. <laughs> oh, I missed it. I missed Shit. that point. Straight over my head. And that that's that's how we start the show this morning. Straight over my head. <laughs> I thought the... So, guys, what we use here is audacity. Uh, and so when we get the show going, you may see me point to him. That's kind of to give him a signal. Okay, you're on. You're good to go. And so when it started, the volume was very low. And so I'm like, okay, uh, we can't <laughs> we can't restart it. So I had to turn it up. So I was kind of nervous when it started because I was like, oh, gosh, I didn't catch any of that. But it did. It was just slow. I had to turn it okay. up. So we're good to go now? Yes, we're good to go. That Okay, one of these days we're actually going to have – Somebody who gets to run this for us. Yes, it's, listen. Oh, and hey, hey, peep, peep the hoodie. Peep the hoodie. It says, this is one I designed myself. It says, Mind of Malcolm, Heart of Martin. Oh, you designed yeah. that. Wow. Yep, I designed this myself. Um, but any- Adrian Herman merch, right? Like- yeah. But anyways, yes, man, it's always time to be at the pinnacle of who you are and what we do. And it's the very best of sports. So, uh, yeah, man, it's 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 some crazy things happening as stuff starts to unfold and some jobs uh, start to fill up. And um, we got some stuff for you today. So, well, the in, NBA was tap kinda, in. Well, well, the NBA was kind of quiet, but Boston did lose. You're gonna lose every once in a while. Didn't have yeah, their but best you lost to Orlando, Orlando on, and, on the road. And if you've watched this show, you know a couple of days ago we were talking about teams that seem irrelevant in the NBA, and Orlando yeah. Magic were one of them. So you're talking about a so-called quote unquote unquote irrelevant team that beats the number one team in the East uh, in their conference. And so <laughs> I don't know what are the Mavericks. I mean, not the Mavericks, the uh, Magics. The Magic. What what, what uh, place I, are they in? Well, they're in last, I believe. You can't be serious. Conference. You can't be serious. Uh, let's see here. I was looking at. There's no way. What happened, Celtics? I can't say your name right. The yeah, They also one thirteen to ninety eight. I'm sorry about that. Uh, yeah, they're eighteen and twenty nine. What place is that? Uh, I'm trying to look this up here. Thirteenth in the Eastern Conference. What's up, Josh? Josh is on. Josh is on because he wants to hear what we're going to say about <laughs> Bill O'Brien. Yeah, Bill. we can't say the middle part that you sent in the group chat, so it's a family-friendly uh, show. But but for our viewers, let's just say Josh does not like Bill O'Brien. No. Bill O'Brien is not his guy. He, he ruined the Texans for uh, the Texans is Josh's favorite team. Uh, he makes them look elite. On Madden, I will say that here live, and I will admit that Until he's he plays me again. He skunked me a few times, uh, more than a few times actually. Uh, but I got it figured out. <laughs> I got it figured out. Uh, 
Isaac, man, update your game, man. Go get the new one, the one we played with at uh, Dad's house. Oh, he's not going to do that. <laughs> he hadn't figured that one out. Yeah, I was good. I put up 21. <laughs> but um, anyways, yeah, man. So you're talking about, what, they were the last place team? Yeah, well, 13th in the East. 13th, either way. That's, might as well say Bot- like, Bottom of the, the bottom feeders. Yeah. Dad Gum, who's last in the East if they're 13? Let's see. Let's look at that East. <laughs> if, the, if, if the Magic are 13, where are they? I mean, who's the last place team? Who? Uh, let's see here. You've got the Pistons at 15 and the Oof. Hornets at 14. So the Pistons are 12 and 37. Charlotte? And then the Ooh. Hornets are... Y'all, y'all know I told Michael, you, Michael, Michael Jordan, Jordan is But I told PO'd. you that... Yeah, but I told you Michael Jordan's not get older. Man. I think the best move he did was getting LaMelo Ball. And you see what that lets turn out, though. That's crazy. But, yeah, the 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 Magic beat the Celtics, the number one team. I just want to know what happened because I didn't watch that game. So hearing that, hearing that update and uh, that score shocks me. Um, because like I said, we're talking about the number one team and we've talked about and bragged on the, uh, the Celtics for weeks, uh, about how big of a team they are and how good they are basketball wise, you know, and, and they let them, the, I, was somebody hurt? No, uh, it was just one of They those got beat dots. by the full team. The full team yeah, got it's beat. Just, it's just one, one of those dots, man. And, and that's the thing with the NBA season. We, we, you know, react to one game, but the NBA season is such a long season. It is. It's like baseball. You know, baseball. You you play 162 games. You're gonna lose. You know, like that's got nobody's going 162 and 0. Yeah, but man, I, you're right. You're right. You're right. It's just one of those. That's, things. Yeah, it is, and it and it's very crazy, man. But you know, and the Kings tied an uh, NBA record last night. They had 12 threes in the first quarter. Scored 47 points. They beat the Grizzlies 133 to 100. Sacramento's Sa- on fire, man. Sacramento's trying to trying to. Take over. They're trying California. to come out of the uh, what's they call what they what they put Harry Potter, the bottom of the staircase. Oh yeah, what what the uh, stepchild is. You know? Yeah, I know what you're not part about. of the family, but you're the, you're the family, but you're not a part well, of the family. Sacramento says jokes on y'all. Yeah, they're they're trying to bust down. Think the about door. this: Did you ever ever think we would get to a point where Sacramento is the best team in California? No, no not above the Lakers. No, and hands down, they're the best team in California. No. Yeah, that, they are. Yeah, that, that they day are. has arrived. Yeah. That, I, dang. Now, they may not be as as showy or, you know, they flashy. Lot, so they average 117.3 points per 100 possessions. Yeah. They're incredible. So, that I mean, you think about that. That means every 100 possessions, they're just jacking it up and making it. Like, they were... They were 12 of 14 from three in that first quarter. Wow. You almost have to think that the, the ones that they missed, the two that they missed, were contested, heavily contested. Yeah, but more than likely. I didn't get to see the whole video. But yeah, but that's... that's Because the, the unfortunate part threes. about some of those games on the West Coast is we don't get to watch them live, so I have to go back and right, kind of right. piece things together. But Be- yeah. Because they'll start at 7.30. Well, 7.30 over here for us is 9.30. And so by that time, you know, we're geared up. We're... And sometimes if it's, you know, something I'll step and watch, but, I mean, that wasn't even a nationally televised. Like, it's a regional. Game. Yeah, yeah. It. But, uh, yeah, man, it's, that's 
That's crazy. I didn't. They're not, like I said, they're not as flashy or showy as the Lakers or Golden State. That's a State. dangerous team. Any team that can shoot at that rate, that's a dangerous basketball team. Yeah. And so, yeah, just man, be on the lookout for the Sacramento Kings. Where the heck is Sacramento? Is that up north, or is that I mean, like I, mid? I thought Sacramento California. was northern California. I know you're, San Fran is. You're the Golden California State guy. You you know more about that than I do. I know about California because I have people that live in That's California. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I know uh, San Fran is Northern California. Uh, Lakers is mid. That's that's the West. Yeah, I want to say Sacramento is kind of north, but I, I do too. I, I do too. I yeah. I if think, there's anybody on here that knows, please. I tell think us. I think Sacramento is up north. Northern. I think it's a little bit northern than uh. Let's look at this. San Fran. San Diego is south. I thought San Diego all these years were uh, northern California. Oh no, that's southern. California. Yeah, that's that's real. That's real southern. That's close to the Mexico border. It's Dago. We have turned this show. Hey, away. my friend Ashley. We'll see. I couldn't see it. The message went away. <laughs> we have uh, turned this show into a geography lesson. Well, you know, man, it's Cali. That's true. You know, Cali and Texas are amongst the two most interesting places in the United States, you know? Uh, On originality as well. So it's north of San Fran. Okay, I figured it was. Kind of north east of San Fran. I figured it was. I figured it was. Yeah. But, um... Not very big. No. Like the... Or the boundaries aren't very big. Yeah. I'll put it that way. San Fran takes up a lot of space up north. Uh, it really does. That's the bigger part of California, other than L.A. County, you know. Yeah. Um, but like I said, then you have San Diego just south, and you have all those others to the south. So Sacramento's tired of being the stepchild. They're like, listen, yeah, we're here. We're better than all you guys. We're out shooting you. We're outperforming you. And just and just like they are, geograph- uh, geographically, they are at the top. They're the West. Yeah, like the West Coast. So, speaking of the Memphis Grizzlies, you know, we talked about them a little bit yesterday because of the fight with Shannon Sharp. And how much they talk trash. Well, Shannon did the right thing and admitted he was wrong. Okay, Uh, then, Shannon. I want to read this. Before you read that, I I will say this. He did, him and Jaws, Jaws, John Morant's father, did, you know, shake hands, dap it up, and, you know, before the end of the game, during it, during the game, you know, all that. That's how you handle a situation. So yeah. this was his statement yesterday on uh, their show, Undisputed. He said, "I preach for six and a half years responsibility and accountability, and I take full responsibility for what transpired. It does not matter what Dylan Brooks said or how many times he said it. Me being the responsible person, me having the platform that I have, and having so many people look up to me, I was wrong." I should have lowered the temperature in the arena. Instead, I turned the temperature up and I let it get out of hand. Uh, let's see here. He goes on to say they didn't. Uh, Yikes! Man. Oh it, well, yeah, okay. So that was kind of his full statement. But the other thing that was pointed out is that there was a clip, and this is why he had to come out and make a statement. There was a clip just from a few weeks ago on Undisputed where he had said it doesn't matter if you play pay a million dollars for a seat. You shouldn't be allowed to talk to an athlete, and so everybody uh, was calling out the hypocrisy, you know, of 
how are you going to say that and then turn around and do it? So he came out, did the right thing, took responsibility, and apologized. I think, you know, uh, that that takes a lot of guts. And, I mean, not just guts, but uh, integrity and discipline and uh, humility to do that. I thought it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I do too. Um, You know... One of the, one of the things you know we 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 look at as sports analysts is you know we do have our own comments about certain players and how they yeah. do things or coaches or whatever, um, and that's one thing you know even I have to catch myself on is uh, what I say around certain people. I mean I know my personal you know emotions and feelings and opinions. Uh, I know what they are, and sometimes I, I could allow them to get in the way, or I could you know just keep that in and, you know, move along. So I think Shannon and saying, you know, I didn't, you know, I, no matter what he said, I'm the guy, you know, that, that could have stopped it. And then I didn't allow it to, uh, I, but I allowed it to get to where it did. And, um, but like I said, during the, you know, during the game, him and John Moran's dad did, you know, they did dap it up and it was like, they were good. Um, but you know, I, I, Kind of suck. I mean, I ain't gonna say it sucks that he apologizes, but you know, man, I that had a dope picture of him, man. After that <laughs> argument, I made it my screensaver. Did that means I had to get rid of it? Nah, it's dope, man. <laughs> it's I mean, a dope picture. Because he still did. Like, yeah. whether or not he's sorry, yeah. or not, he did just basically <laughs> tell the whole Memphis Grizzlies bench, yeah. "Come at me, man!" Like it's <laughs> he was ready to take him on. He was Thor in that moment. <laughs> he uh, was, he just take on the whole arena. Yeah. But uh. But Shannon, man, that's why I said yesterday. I, I thought that was the right thing. Yeah, because everybody kept making the excuse. Well, that's Shannon and Shannon. It doesn't matter. You you made the and it, and it was even worse because of the comments that he had made. You can't say that about people and then turn around and do what they do. And, and it was also the point I tried to make yesterday. You know, even with what we do, we run into guys that I I don't care for. You mm-hmm. know, that I know them from another realm. And, you know, know how they are behind closed doors and whatnot. But you have to act professional right, when you're right, in a right. different setting. You know, you're not the player. You're not the coach anymore, whatever. You are a, a, a member of the media who, and really, though, yeah, we, you know, we watch the Cowboys. We're Cowboys. It, it's really our job to be as unbiased as possible. Yeah. You know, our job is to, to provide opinions and analysis that are based on but, facts yeah. and all of those things. And that was where I, I, I took a little bit of issue with what he did was because he let his emotions override his position. Right. And when you're that public and you're that, you know, out there with some of your things, you've got to live up to well, that. Yeah, and the media carries a heavier, uh, some heavier luggage than, you know, some of those athletes. Now, you know, the athletes are on in the spotlight. Yes. But they're in the spotlight because of what we do. Yeah. And so, uh, it, we do carry, you know, that baggage, you know, of having to be professional wherever we are, you know. You know, there are times that, we, like, you know, me, you and I, we'll, you know, cut loose, just kind of relax. But. Which is fine. Yeah, but in, our, but in a professional. Never, we would never yell at a player. We would never uh, yell at an Like, like I yeah. said. There's guys that we've covered just this past season that I used to coach against that I can't really and truly can't stand yeah, them. But yeah. I'm not going to stand there on the sideline trying to cover a game and start 
talking trash to them. Yeah. Like in, a, in, in another another realm. And, and, I would, and see, but. we we've. Oh, I did. I did. However, I seen something like that happen uh, at a at a game this past season. Uh, at one of our, uh, the Dangerfield games that we covered, where some of the parents were yelling at one of the players, it was in the back. It was a back and forth thing, and in the moment, I was like, "Wow, this is really happening!" <laughs> and uh, they were live broadcasting the game, and so they got all of that. And then you know, I was like, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't yeah have a back and forth you know thing with a player on the field. But that's different for us. We're on the field, and so we can't get into any kind of. Like you said, there's there's plays and there's referees, there's back calls uh, that happen during the game, and so we can't be like, you know, we can't yell, you know, like why did you call that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I may walk by you and tell you that was a bad call. Yeah, or I've been known to, you know, if a, one of the yeah, coaches we'll, I know we'll, on the sideline, we'll we'll have our own you know conversation off to the but side, I, but and like I said, in a different time, I would have been on the field screen because I'm a coach. That's right. my job is right. to fight for my players. But I'm not in that realm, and I think that that's where Shannon had to take a step back and realize what realm he's in now. Yeah. This is a different realm. There are different expectations. I I applaud him for doing the right thing, coming out and and apologizing. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of going to use that as a uh, pick-me-up later when we get to a different conversation uh, that you sent me yesterday on Ed Reed. Uh, something similar to that, similar to that that I want to uh, mention, but that's well, not only that, so that, but there's two sides to that story. It is, and it is. I definitely want to get to what the interim president of the college had to say in regards to that uh, as well. Yeah, uh, that, that's interesting to me. It is, um, but there's something about every that I want to say. It, it's it's something about you know how he does Handled, things. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, you know, it's interesting, man. You know, it's it's if you've ever come to the games, uh, and you see us on the field, you will see us up to the side, you know, talking and you know, chopping it up about certain things on the, that happened on the field or plays, or something that players should have did, you know. But we haven't. If we talk to the players, um, if we talk to the players um, directly, it's usually like you know, I usually I do. Is you know to encourage them, you know, like kind of or dap them up or something like that, but that ain't, you know, that's just you know part of what we do. Other than that, you know, we keep our own comments to ourselves and we keep our own dialogue. Uh, so it, it gives us stuff to talk about on the show. But um, yeah, man, it's it gets intense. You know, it gets intense. Uncle Shannon, Uncle yeah, Shannon. But we're about to have. Elwin Henderson on the show. Y'all ready for this? Well, good morning, Mr. Henderson. How you doing? Good, good. Doing great. Glad to have you on the show again. Thanks. Glad to be with you. Yes, sir. So we want to start here. What What were your main takeaways uh, after the game uh, this past Sunday night? and he doesn't have to get rid of the ball or make a quick decision. And number two, when he does not have that strong line there for him, he pressures, makes bad decisions, throws 
interceptions as he threw two of, and literally those two interceptions cost him the game. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the point, I love Dak to death as a person, but I'm at the point, he's proven over and over and over again in big games, when the pressure hits, he can't handle the pressure. I don't think he's an NFL starting quarterback, I think he's a great backup quarterback, and honestly, I think the Cowboys need to move on with him. So that, that leads to my, my next question. Do you think there's any chance that the Cowboys do make a move at quarterback? I would be shocked if they do. Because just like Jerry has always done with <clears throat> with players he loved, like as you recall, Terrell Owens when he was there and Bill Parcells was there, Bill Parcells said, Jerry, I'm not going to put up with this. You know, this guy is not a team player, and Jerry said, I support my player, and that's why Bill Parcells left. Jerry is very stubborn. When he likes somebody, he likes them, and it takes him forever to decide it's time to make a move. Perfect example, Jason Garrett. Yep. Perfect example of a mediocre coach, and he stuck with Jason and stuck with Jason and stuck with Jason. He is too loyal to the people he likes, but yet has a short fuse with anyone that he doesn't like on the team. So, and the other side of this too would be Dak's contract. Uh, you yeah, know, because that that would be tough. You know, that's a problem because he's got, I believe, three more years left. Right. Mm-hmm. He got a huge, a huge contract based on the way he plays in playoff games. There's no way on the planet anybody's going to want to take up that contract. And he's still got some pretty good hit in dead money if they weren't able to trade him, if they just cut him. So it's a lose-lose situation for the Cowboys. And, you know, there's a similar situation with Zeke Elliott. As I think we all know, Zeke, yeah, he's had some injuries, but Zeke really hasn't done anything since he got that huge contract. If I think Jerry made a mistake there. Jerry should have said, I'm not going to extend you this year. Show me next year what you got, and then I'll extend you. And once Zeke got that big money, uh, you know, I may be in the minority, but I don't really think I am. I don't think Zeke has given more than 60% of what he's had since he got the big money. But Zeke won't hurt him near like Dak will. They could, they could drop Zeke and just cut him. Nobody's going nobody's gonna to take him with what he's producing now, I don't think. They're not going to take him on his name and what he has done. Zeke will only cost him about $5.9 million in dead money if they cut him. But my bigger concern is we saw what Darian Fowler did this season. And, yeah, maybe that's part of the reason, too, that the, that the Cowboys didn't win the game. When Pollard went out, the offense went, you know, we're in a handbasket. <laughs> and the problem with Pollard, though, is the Cowboys don't have much in cap space to spend. Pollard is a free agent. Now, yeah, his stock may go down after that injury because, as you probably heard, he had not only a high ankle sprain like Patrick Mahomes had, but he also broke his fibula and is going to have to have surgery, and he's going to be totally out of commission for about three months. That's going to hurt him somewhat in free agency, but I don't see any way the Cowboys are going to be able to hold on to him, and that's, to me, the recipe for death. I, you know, I, I just don't see the window of winning a Super Bowl should have been last year and this year and I just don't see things happening because there's more and more pieces they're needing to replace now. 
So what do you take of uh, Zeke's comments that he was willing to take a pay cut uh, to, to help with the roster situation? Do you think that's more about just trying to keep his job or more players saying, hey, we're fed up of not, not having a roster around us to win a Super Bowl? I think honestly, and I was glad to see Zeke said he would do that, but I think honestly with Zeke, he knows the fans are getting frustrated with him, with him not being very productive. And I think in his mind, I need to do this to save face. And I mean, right. yeah, I'm sure, I don't think there's a player on that team that doesn't want to win a Super Bowl. So I was glad to see that. But they need to have about three or four more players step up and say they'll do the same type thing if they're going to be able to get any cap space to be able to sign the players it's going to take to get to the Super Bowl. But once again, I say that, the last two years they've had a roster that was good enough to win the Super Bowl on paper. Mm. So, uh, you know, I still think it all comes down to Jerry needs to hire a general manager and quit trying to be the general manager. Every coach who's ever been there except for Jimmy Johnson had no power whatsoever. And that's 50% of what ended what could have been five or six Super Bowls in a row with Jimmy and Jerry. Because when Jerry started spouting off, then Jimmy started spouting off. And the bottom line is, both those guys have an ego bigger than the state of Texas. And you couldn't have put both of those guys in a state five times the state of Texas, size-wise, and expected them to get along any longer. But that's the problem. Jerry doesn't, he knows just enough to create a mess, and that's pretty much what he's done throughout, except for hiring Jimmy to begin with. So, any big roster changes uh, that you see coming as we head into the offseason? Well, you know, every team always says, we're going to evaluate every player. I had really thought if McCarthy didn't at least make it to the championship, Jerry would fire him. But Jerry still adamantly said Sunday night, Mike's not going anywhere. He's my guy. Dak's not going anywhere. He's my guy. But I firmly believe Dak won't be going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But sometimes Jerry says the total opposite of what he's really thinking about doing. I've heard for weeks that Sean Payton and Jerry Jones have had under-the-table conversations. Is it true? I don't know. It may just be a rumor floating out there. I'm not going to sit here and say I know for a fact it's true. But I've heard for weeks <clears throat> that was going on and that if McCarthy didn't at least get him to the championship game, he was probably going to be fired and Sean Payton would be hired. But then I also heard if he didn't take him to the Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl, he'd be fired. So, you know, you never know what to believe. But I think that could still happen. But what Jerry's looking at now you know, this is the first time since the late 90s the team had two seasons in back-to-back double-digit wins. And that's great. The fans love that during the regular season. But I think what Jerry fails to understand is when the postseason comes, the fans aren't going to forgive you for losing in the first or second round and not making it to the Super Bowl. They could care less that we won 12 games in the regular season. You could win nine games or even like the Buccaneers did, go 8-9 and nine and get in the playoffs. And if Tampa Bay had gotten hot, they could have won the Super Bowl when they didn't even have that great a team. So, 
you know, that's that's what I think Jerry's missing. He's missing the fact, yeah, it's great to win in the regular season. Everybody loves that. But money time is playoff time, and this team just keeps coming up bankrupt every year. Well, speaking of that, uh, what did you make of the questionable play call to end the ball game? That was the most ridiculous play I have ever seen in my life. McCarthy still stood by it in his post-game press conference. But what he said was, when he was pressed on it, well, we worked on it all week long in practice to score a touchdown off of that play if we needed to. So in my mind, he's basically saying, we didn't think we were going to be in the lead at the end of the game, but we thought we were going to have to do something crazy. So we instituted this play. Now, of course, what they didn't account for was that the minute Z snapped the ball and the minute that pass was thrown, the defender was right up on top of the receiver and they had no time to lateral or do anything anywhere. So, I mean, it, to me, I would say it's the most ridiculous play I have ever seen in my lifetime in any football game. And there was no call for it. It looked like backyard sandlot football, and it certainly did not look anything close to professional football. You know, my fuse is short with McCarthy and the whole team at this point. For me, if I was the owner and I saw that play, I would not have even let McCarthy ridden the flight back home. I'd have said, buy your own ticket, you're out of here. Yeah. Uh, and, and McCarthy admitted it was his idea. And I guess he told Kellen, that's what I want to run. So, speaking of that, you know, the fact that he did say that was kind of his brainchild, is there any chance that he takes over play calling next season in Dallas as we've seen him do in the past with Green Bay? No. I don't think even Jerry trusts him enough to do that. And especially after that play the other night. Now, there is a high probability that both Kellen Moore and... Dan Quinn will go on to head coaching jobs in the offseason. Frankly, Kevin Moore has shown flashes of brilliance, but he's also shown fireballs of trash in his play calling, in my opinion. I wouldn't care if we lost Kellen Moore today. Dan Quinn is another story. That defense is why that team did what they did during the regular season. Yeah, they were scoring 29 points, something points, or over 30 for a while, points per game. But you stop and look at all the big plays that defense made. They were like, I believe, number three or four in the league. And that's all Dan Quinn, because that's the same players they had there for the most part. Yeah, we've got a couple of new ones in, but the, the foundation players of that defense are the same ones that couldn't do crap three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're in deeper trouble if we lose Dan Quinn. It might even be a blessing in disguise if Kellen Moore disappears. So what what is it, just in, as you talk to people in the business, what is it about Kellen Moore that makes him such a hot commodity for these head coaching jobs? Because that is beyond me how he yeah. even gets an interview. Well... I think the biggest reason is he had never coached. As you know, he was a player. And then suddenly Jerry decides to make him offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. And I'll give him credit. Yeah, he's done a decent job enough of the time that they they were a high-scoring offense. 
And I think that's what it is because you got a lot of teams out there that can't score but eight or nine points a game. And for that reason, I can see why maybe they would blink their eyes at him. And, yeah, for a team like a Carolina or the Jets or or some team like that that's not very good at all, I can see why they go, oh, man, he can turn us around. So I kind of see the why, but I still don't understand why he got the offensive coordinator <laughs> position to begin with. And if you're Dan Quinn, you've got to take a head coaching job this time, right? While you're still a hot commodity. Oh, absolutely. Because if he doesn't take it this time, he's getting on up there. As that old saying goes like me, he's long in the tooth now. He's not going to get many more opportunities. And, you know, I really thought he got treated unfairly when he got fired in Atlanta. And I was glad that Dallas came up. But if you recall... Dan Quinn was asked to interview for jobs last year, Mm -hmm. and he initially accepted an interview. And once he accepted the interview, Jerry called him in, talked to him, gave him a big raise, and Dan said, I've got unfinished business in Dallas. Now, the feeling all along was that if Dallas won the Super Bowl this year, he would definitely be gone. But my question is, does he still think he has unfinished business? And after that horrid play offensively by the Cowboys Sunday night, I'm thinking if I'm Dan Quinn, yeah, my business is finished here because the offense can't do their part of the business. It don't matter how good the defense is. The offense can't score enough to win. So, you know, I'm thinking he's thinking it's time. Plus, like I say, if he's ever going to get another head coaching job, this is time. Now, he was paid almost head coaching money to remain as the Cowboys defensive coordinator last year. Mm-hmm. I've also heard that in that conversation, Jerry said, if McCarthy doesn't make it, you're my next head coach. Mm. And I think he swung that carrot out there at Dan Quinn. And I think Dan probably thought, well, if we don't go deep in the playoffs, McCarthy's gone, I'm the new head coach. But that was before all the Sean Payton talk came up. And now with Jerry just adamantly, I'm not changing coaches. I think Dan Quinn has half of his house packed up already. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing about the, the coaching business that I try to tell people. You've got to go while the iron's still hot. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you got to strike while the iron's hot and make hay while the sun's shining, as that old saying goes. So speaking of Sean Payton, you know, he was mentioned – early on for uh, possibly being a candidate for the Houston Texans job. That's looking less and less likely. Are there any updates on that coaching search? Yes. They have completely finished their interviews. And, man, I'll be honest. I'm I'm concerned. I talked to some of my friends down in Tampa Bay uh, that covered the Cowboys that knew that I also covered the Texans. Here's my concern. I think they have zeroed in, and I think the 49ers offensive core, or defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, is going to be named the next head coach of the Houston Texans. That concerns me for two reasons. Now, yes, D'Amico Ryans was drafted by the Houston Texans. He played eight seasons in Houston and was loved by the fans. But based on what Cal McNair and Nick Casario, the GM, have done the last two years, 
and this this may sound a bit racist, and I apologize, but if I'm a black man, there is no way on this planet I'm going to go coach the Houston Texans. Mm-hmm. David Culley was not the right choice. There's no doubt about that. He was better than Bill O'Brien because Bill O'Brien was hated by everybody. But, and the fans deplored him, he was better than Bill O'Brien, but David Culley wasn't the right choice. But Culley, I think, still deserved a second year. And with the pedigree that Lovey Smith brought in, with the players he had, there is no way on this planet any John Payton couldn't have gone down to Houston and won any more games than they won with what Lovey had to work with. Lovey definitely deserved a second year. They'd given him a four-year contract. And if I'm D'Amico Ryans, yeah, hey, I'm from Texas. I was drafted by the Texans. I played a lot of my career there. I love the city. I know the stadium. I know the fans. But Nick Casario was not there when he played there. Cal McNair was not the owner there. His dad, Bob McNair, who had common sense, was. I don't give Cal McNair sense enough to come in out of the snow. <laughs> I'm just not impressed with him. And he and Casario are as tight as, as any two people could be. So I am concerned deeply for D'Amico Ryan's that he's going to get the shaft. Well, and, and does that have any bearing on uh, Bryce Young? You know, because they, there was already warnings to him, you don't want to go to Houston, and then if you oh, bring yeah. in another defensive-minded head football coach, uh, I would have questions about his development at that point. Well, absolutely. And the Texans don't have an offensive coordinator right now. You know, they fired, they fired just about everybody on that staff. And obviously, any new coach that comes in, is going to bring his own people in. But that's a very big concern. And, you know, I think there is a possibility that if Bryce Young is drafted by the Texans, he may come out and say, and we remember it happened several years ago, Philip Rivers, he was traded to San Diego. Mm-hmm. He just flat out right said, I'm not playing here. Yeah. And if Bryce Young said that, then the Texans really have egg all over their face. Now, does Bryce Young want a huge contract enough to take a, a stab at it and risk it? Maybe. I mean, let's face it, he's a 21-year-old kid. So maybe he does. But I firmly believe that it would be a mistake if he went there. The fans would love it. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really concerned. Bottom line is, with all the mistakes the Cowboys have made and all the dumb decisions Jerry Jones has made, the Houston Texans are the biggest dumpster fire and the biggest laughing stock in the NFL right now. Yeah, that, wow. you know that, that's a that's a sad situation, especially for for Texans fans. Now you mentioned Bill O'Brien; he got the offensive coordinator job uh, in New England this morning. What are your thoughts on that? Well, he's reuniting where he was. He came to the Texans from the New England Patriots. Mm-hmm. Now, he was not OC up there then. He and Bill Belichick are tight. They are very tight. You know, I, I'm not going to say Bill O'Brien isn't a good coordinator. I think he is. You know, they did win a couple of division championships, AFC South division championships under his tenure. The problem is he has no personality he has zero communication skills when it comes to dealing with the media and the public. 
not a jerk. You know, I'm sorry, but that's what the man is. I dealt with him too much. And John McClain, who was the most revered sports writer in the state of Texas, with the Houston Chronicle for 40-something years before he retired last year, I would go into press conferences after games, and John would ask a legitimate question of Bill O'Brien, and he would get him a smart answer, a terse answer, as if he was a brand-new beat writer just in his first press conference. And that's where I learned to despise Bill O'Brien because I think the world of John McClain. Yeah, it, it, it just was one of those where it felt like Bill Belichick's bringing him in because he's familiar with him, they work together, exactly. and, and it was just a matter of, hey, I, I, I've got to bring him in because I don't really want to go outside of my circle. Exactly. At his age, that's probably a good move for Belichick. Hey, I want to mention one more thing that just dawned on me about the Cowboys, and then we can go back wherever you want to go. But it just dawned on me, and it bears talking about. Tony Romo, as much as Tony was beloved as a Dallas Cowboys quarterback, went two and four in his entire career in the playoffs. Never won a division championship. Dak Prescott has now gone two wins and four losses in his career without winning a division championship. And Pretty, from the 49ers, has now won as many playoff games in eight days as Tony Romo and Dak Prescott did in their entire careers. Golly. And and that just shows the state of the Cowboys at the quarterback position. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And now, (laughs) Romo, I think he did not have the best talent some of those years. Mm -hmm. And he certainly didn't have the best offensive coordinator. All of the things that happened to Tony weren't Tony's fault. But as much as I love Dak as a person, all of the things that have happened to Dak are Dak's fault. Yeah, everybody was so high on him after that game against Tampa Bay, and I said, well, Tampa Bay is not near the defense they were uh, the Super Bowl year. Let's let's see how he does against San Francisco, and he kind of proved my point. Yeah, well, again, if he has time and no pressure, he's as good as Patrick Mahomes. But if he gets any pressure... His feet dance around, he jerks, he keeps his eye on the exact receiver he's planning to go to, and he makes mistakes, usually a couple of games. And as you know, that first interception, they were inside the 15-yard line and about to take potentially a seven-point lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just just a, a bad move and certainly not a championship quarterback move at all. No. Yeah. So I have another question. Um Back on the Houston Texans. So, we have mentioned D'Amico Ryan's, uh, you know, he's a defensive-minded head head coach or coach. Yep. So, we have a question on our live. We're live here. We have a question. So, one of the things, you know, the concerns about uh, Bryce Young, Mm -hmm. Tampa Bay just let go of uh, Byron Leftwich. Mm -hmm. Is it possible that they could go and, you know, know, consider him for an offensive coordinator job? To help develop Bryce Young because I mean, left which isn't I mean he was a good quarterback. He's not I mean he's respected as a uh, offensive coordinator over there in Tampa. Now I don't uh, agree with what he did with Tom Brady, who's forty five and having him throw sixty six no. uh, passes. But did you give him a chance over there in Houston? I 
would not want him as offensive coordinator because I was not impressed with what he did after that Super Bowl year. I wasn't impressed last year with his play calling. I wasn't very impressed with it this year. And it was horrific against the Cowboys in the playoff mm-hmm. game. Now, that having been said, I could see him doing a great job being hired as the quarterback's coach to develop Bryce Young as quarterback's coach. Hmm. I think that would be a good fit if, in fact, the Texans get Bryce Young. So uh, I want to wind up the interview this way uh, as we kind of uh, move on in the in the week. What, what do you think is going to be the next domino to fall as far as big news in the NFL is concerned? <laughs> well, I don't know when the domino is going to fall. But in my mind, the domino is wherever John Payton goes. Mm. And, of course, he's making the round robin. He's basically going to interview for every single head coaching job that's out there. And I give him credit. He is milking it. Mm, he is. Because the more teams that want to interview him, the bigger that bottom line contract is going to be. Now, personally, you know, he didn't exactly set the woods on fire in New Orleans the last couple of years. And he did have a lot of leniency if you will, on who they drafted, on who was on the final roster, on who was out there on the field. I'm honestly, in my mind, beginning to wonder, kind of like it did Tom Landry, is the league kind of passing him by and he's falling behind the times. I wonder, can he even turn around another team right now? So I think that's going to be the big news wherever he goes. All the NFL cameras are going to be in whatever team he lands with. Yeah, that that'll definitely be uh, a high profile hire for whatever team, and uh, going to get some some people in the seats for sure. Oh, absolutely! They'll sell a ton of tickets. Yeah. Well, we we appreciate your time, Ellen. Thanks for being on the show with us this you morning. Bet. You bet. Y'all have a great week. You too. Enjoyed it. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wow, lot there. Uh, a lot to get to that we're going to uh, break down later on in the show. Love yeah. the fan interaction, by the way. Yeah. So, I mean, it's some interesting. Was that a Josh question? No, that was my brother. Wow. And so. <laughs> we need to have him on the show. Sometime. Yeah. So, he had an interesting. He said something interesting down here at the bottom when I, about Tom Brady. He was like, he's working with a 45-year-old quarterback. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense, you know. With Tom Brady, he's not the mo- he's not a mobile quarterback, and you know, with Bryce Young being twenty plus years younger, uh, with a younger arm and you know, more capability, you're able to do something a little bit more on the side of flashiness. If in and, and I'll I'll break down why there would be some concern for me if I'm a Texans fan and you bring him in. I'll, I'll break that that down here in just a little bit. Uh, when we get to that segment of the show, because yeah. I've, I've got an interesting thought on that, uh, but I want to go back. Uh, like I said, in, in a little bit, we'll we'll cover some of the things. That was a very interesting, insightful interview, as always. So yeah. glad to have uh, Elwin as a friend of the show, and and just as a friend personally, and always got uh, great information, willing to come on and share it with us. But uh, looking at the high school uh, landscape, I mentioned yesterday that Tyler High had made their hire. Uh, all reports are that Thursday, Tyler Legacy is going to make their hire. I'm interested to see who this is. This was a very quick hire. Uh, if one rumor that I've heard <clears throat> is true, 
there's going to be some mad people. But I, so, uh, <laughs> if it is who I think it is, uh, let me put it this way. It may not be. I'm not going to reveal any names or my thoughts because I, I, I could be way off wait, on this. You, like as far as who the head coach is? Yes. If it, if it is who I think it is, there's one school district that I think should be livid. And it's not going to be Tyler Legacy. Oh. But if it is who I think it is, I would have some questions for my school board. But it could not, if it, it may not be this person. So we'll see. Uh, but I, I think that if but it you is... Gotta, are you going to say who it is? No, because I want to see if it is who I think it is. Oh, I could man, be no. Well, because I'm just going off of one one thing that I've seen and heard, both seen and heard. And I'm if that piece of information is true... It's very interesting to me. Dang, now I want to know. I'll, I'll, I'll take you off. You can't the boil the pot up and well, <laughs> turn well, the eye off, man. <laughs> it's called clickbait, man. we got to keep people coming back for Thursday. But no, I'll, I'll tell you off the record yeah. after the show. Cause it, but if I, I'll just put that. If it is who I think it could possi- very well be, there's one school district that I think should be at their next school board meeting demanding answers. I'll put it that way. Uh, but but I think that'll be interesting. The other thing I want to talk about in regards to high school sports, should there be a mercy rule? Uh, Fairfield uh, basketball girls beat uh, Buffalo 78 to nothing the other night. In other games, Winona has been beat 82 <laughs> to nothing and then 90 to nothing by Winsboro. Hold on. In basketball, by the way. It's basketball, but... This is what's funny about Winona is they heard what Fairfield did to Buffalo and said, well, hold on, we can do better than that. <laughs> We've been beat twice in the same respect. <laughs> and, like, why would you bring that hold up? Hold my cup of coffee. I'm yeah. going to drop that. But should there be a mercy rule? With basketball, I don't know how that's going to happen. That would have to That would have to come from the coach who's getting beat that bad. I oh, mean, absolutely. I think once it gets to ninety to zero, well, I mean, yeah, that's not even. So, let's see here. Yeah, they they've just. I mean, and they forfeited the majority of their games uh, since then. What the teams? So, they oh, get? yeah, they 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 forfeited all of their games. I think uh, well, I know since them. then, yes. So it's their it's their girls basketball team. Um, they're zero and eleven. This is for one other. Oh and eleven, oh and six in the district. Man. Um, yeah, they they forfeited just about every game since then for the most part. So they're just giving wins. Yeah, because apparent. So the issue. So they lost to Winsboro ninety to nothing. They lost to Elysian Field sixty eight to four. They lost to Linden Kildare fifty three <laughs> to nothing. They lost to a private school, sixty-five to seventeen. They lost to true private school. Is very good two. at basketball. I don't know how. So I mean, they, they, very good at basketball. They've had games that weren't even close, yeah. right? And so apparently, after the initial eighty-two to nothing loss that they'd experienced prior to the ninety to nothing loss, uh, the principal had told the girls' head coach, "I don't care what it looks like on the court. We've just got to field a team. Go get players out of the hallways if you have to. Whatever." They did that. They got beat nine to nothing, and the response was, "Let's just forfeit." That the rest was of the, the worst advice you could give. 
Now, granted, this has been an issue in Winona before. Uh, I remember when I was coaching at Harmony, and they would come play, you know, us, of course, and have, or the girls' team would play. Yeah. There was one point where we played them five on two because everybody else fouled out. Like, literally, the rest of the team fouled out. I think we beat them, you know, 60 to 14. That I mean, we just took it to them. At some point, though, they're, they're and, and I don't know where I really stand on this issue. Because there's a, my philosophy has always been, if you don't like me, stop me. Like, if you want to do something about it, then then stop us. You know, now, now granted, football game, you're up by 30. Unless it's a big rivalry game, there's been a lot of mouthing. Yeah, you're probably putting in your second and third stringers and just kind of playing out the clock. There's been certain situations I've been involved in where, you know, there was some jawing going on previous to the game, jawing going on during the game. So hey, you're gonna you're gonna take it to them a little bit. That's your that's your right, you know, to, to take it to them. But we're starting to see more and more of this as high school sports, and especially here in East Texas, are becoming more and more one sided. You're getting the haves and the have nots. We don't have many of the middling teams left anymore. No. You're either really good. Or you're really bad. That that became very evident to me in football that that you were either at the top end of a district or you were at the bottom end, and you might get that playoff spot. But you're getting steamrolled. You know that first round game. Yeah, it's not even close. And that that really showed me. And then now we're starting to see it so, creep into the spring sports with basketball, and, and so that it just raises that question because of the 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 gap widening now between the haves and the have-nots, and because of the way that that most of the districts are put together in, in on both sides of both your fall districts and your spring districts. Uh, and, and just a little bit of insight here, your spring districts are put together different than your fall districts because your spring districts don't have a Division One, Division Two. Right. You're just 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A, 5A, 6A, and so forth. Uh, so so you're going to have a lot, uh, a, a lot of a wider gap there, a much larger gap. Uh, in your spring sports a lot of times just because of a sheer numbers issue, you know, with that. So it does raise the question. I, I, I think there is a conversation to be had, especially here in Texas with UIL, about what what do you put in place? You know, d- does football go to the six-man rule? Six-man already has the rule that if you're up by 45 uh, at the half or in, at any point after the half, that's the game. You know, do you move to that in football? Uh, I, the downside to me uh, is that if you ever do that, you're costing players valuable learning time. Yeah. You're not going to see as many guys getting on the field, you know, late in the game that get that experience. Because even in a blowout loss or a blowout win, that's still varsity experience. You're still playing at a, a, a faster pace, well, a higher speed. We've we seen it ourselves. Uh when Pittsburgh played Carthage, you know Ooh. Carthage was up twenty-one to nothing within the first two minutes of the game, uh, and that's the first quarter. Yeah, they they scored three times in a matter of a minute and a half. Yeah, and so we've seen for the majority of the second half, if not all of the second half, their third and fourth string was playing. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you're right there where it, it you know you you are. Possibly, you're taking away from that experience time for most players. 
uh, on varsity, even if they are the bottom strings or whatever, but you're taking away experience because next year, of course, you'll have graduates. The next year, they may be starters, you know, or at some position. So you want to give them that experience. The only thing I say that'll be hard and difficult and the difference between basketball and football is if you, you know, insert some kind of rule like this, is basket basketball, there's no breaks. Yeah. It's up and down the court. And you telling me you can't score two points? Mm-hmm. That's pitiful. It's not my fault you can't score two points. That's on you. So basketball, you know, I, I did say, I you know, I said a couple of minutes ago, it should be a mercy rule. But I think if there is, there has to be, it has to come from, that coach has to step out and say, you can't call it, you know. Yeah, wave the white flag. Yeah. But I think if you are going to implement any sort of rule, I, I, the one rule I, I I would be okay with is is you know not 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 allowing any sort of a press you know after a certain gap you know yeah. in the score because honestly who needs to run a full court press when you're already up you know forty to nothing yeah uh, and, and I don't know that that was the case in any of these games but I I would not have an issue <coughs> with that uh, you know like I said to me there's no easy answer. Because I think we're only going to get worse. I don't think the problem's going to get any better. And I hate to be a doom and gloom. I really do. I don't like being the bearer of bad news on this show. But I think the writing is starting to come down on the wall for these public schools. I really do. I think that the more that you have Paul Puitt fielding 14 guys for their football team and then you know fielding that mean for their basketball team. How big is Fairfield? Uh, that was a that would have been a four A game. Four A game, yeah, I believe Fairfield. That's uh, that's 4A. just a bad basketball team. Yeah. Period. Uh, yeah, that's just. I don't. I mean, I'm not going to say I feel anyways. That, that, of, yeah, that was just kind of the catalyst for this conversation. Yeah, because but, that shined. The but light. you look at Winona, and it, it's more so these small towns. These small towns aren't producing. Athletes like they weren't. And smart. Buffalo's a smaller town than Fairfield. That's the issue yeah. is that they they're a smaller. But these small towns aren't producing athletes like they once were, and you're not getting a lot of kids that's interested in sports anymore. Yeah. And so, you you get that, and you you put that together, and you're going to get some bad games. That's the issue, and you're right. You know, we're starting to see that more, but it's starting to happen more and more in these small town uh, schools like. Uh, Omaha, Paul Pewitt. And we're uh, not picking on Paul Pewitt. No, it's but it's the reality, yeah, it's of, the reality of it. And then you talking about we're talking about Winona, you yeah. know. Um, and then also, you know, uh, Dangerfield is just barely, you know, they're hanging on by thread. That's because they continue to produce athletes. They're one of the. But we're seeing la- more and more that that's starting to trickle out. Yeah, it, it, yeah. Money. I mean, it, it is, but. <laughs> You, it's it's not the the school's fault. I think it's more so. When we've talked about this numerous times on the show, is that you don't have anybody moving into the town. You're not. You don't have anybody saying, "Oh well, I'm going to move my child into this school district." Parents aren't moving their scout their child into a smaller school district unless that child is continuously in trouble and they want them to get you know yeah. get away. But if they're an athlete, they're not moving them into to no small town. They're not. Uh no, they're taking them into the foray and up, you know, mm-hmm. or you know the, you know that 
just what it is. I mean, it, it is what it is at this point. Um, that's where it's, that's where they're going. And so I'm, it's not to just bag on these small schools um, because, you know, they're great communities, but it's just the reality that, you know, they're losing athleticism. And, you know, at some point they're not going to have it at all because yeah. you're going to get tired of losing and you're going to say, okay, I want a different, op-, especially if there is some kind of athlete, you know, mm-hmm. on that team. It's like, okay, I want a better chance somewhere else, you know, at, for a winning team or at least decent team, mm. you know, to get some kind of, you know, play, uh, an experience, but that's what's happening. I mean, you can't, there's no rules. I think that will be able to be put in place. That'll change anything. The best thing I can say for these, these, you know, these small towns is sooner or later, they're probably going to be going to six man football. Uh, like Pewitt, if they don't get any bigger, they're probably going to go to. Well, definitely in the next realignment, they're probably going down to two A. Yeah, and I, I could see that possibly helping but, them. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> possibly. But it, it to me, it was just a, you know, like I said, uh, the Fairfield game kind of gets the hype because that was the most recent incident of this, and then. Uh, you had Winona coming out and saying, well, we've experienced that as well. So I just thought that it, it was a conversation, uh, you know, that was worth having and, and certainly kind of hmm. put a spotlight on a larger issue. So Josh has an interesting comment here. He says, I think with introduction of high school uh, fishing league, it's getting interest of people, which is bringing down the main sports. So that's very interesting because you're starting to see that uh, – in these schools now where it's like, um, it's a, what is it called? It's a shooting. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. that, what is clay, it called? Clay shooting. Yeah. yeah. So Pittsburgh has that, or I guess had it, um, trap shooting, yeah. trap shooting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they have stuff like that. They have, um, they have the fishing league now. Yeah. Uh, rodeo. They mm-hmm. have this kind of, st- this, these new things moving in that doesn't involve sports. Uh, or well, any, they do, but they're not the main. You well, know, yeah, it's, sports, it's and so I think it's you know Josh has a good point there. It's piquing the interest of these kids more. Well, I'm gonna want to go out there and get beat up. And so I like to this. Yeah, yeah, I like to fish. I like I want to learn how to shoot. I want I like shooting or hunting or whatever, or even welding and at a FFA stuff. You know, you have more kids getting more interested in that than the sports because. To be honest, we do what we do because there's still a good amount of people, uh, I mean, more than a good amount of people in Texas that love sports. Oh, and, and there t- always will yeah, be. Yeah, and there always, always will be. But these small towns, you're, you're looking at, you know, these kids aren't, like I said, they're not interested in football and basketball anymore. No, they're, these are, those things are starting to become cliche yeah. to them. So let's do something different. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good point to really think about, you know, you know, with that being, uh, with that being um, introduced into school, you having more kids do that uh, because that's you know more scholarships, mm-hmm. um, you know, different opportunities, op- yeah, different opportunities than with sports, and we know basketball and football; those are hard to get, you know, sports to get scholarships in. Yeah. 
Well, and we so the UIL always meets you know after the school year is up, and they kind of discuss things. So I, I am interested to see if uh, any of this is discussed, you know, and, and kind of maybe what some of the solutions are uh, that are that are proposed there. Yeah. Now we talked a, a little bit about this at the beginning of the show. We talked about yesterday the Ed Reed situation. Yeah. So Ed Reed uh, was on. There's a, a show that is directly related to Bethu- uh, HBCU schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm sorry about the name of the show. I'm not 100% familiar it's, it's, with it's it. Now in Florida. And uh, the host, uh, I, I'm drawing a blank on his name, has had both sides on the show. You can go look this up. I'm, I'm sure you can pull up the video. Yeah. And so we, I, I, I was watching. So... He initially had the interim president of Bethune-Cookman on the show. And he asked him, he said, okay, Ed Reed's telling everybody that he didn't withdraw his name. He didn't resign. He didn't do any of that, that this was a decision by the school. So I want to know whose decision was it? Was it the, the president's decision or was it the board of trustees? And the interim president says it was my decision. And he said, here's the side of the story that nobody's heard. He said, when we hired Ed Reed, he said, Ed Reed came to us, said he was interested in the job. He said, so I had a conversation with Ed Reed. He said, and there were were a few things that we covered. He said, number one, first and foremost, we told him, this is a Christian school. We expect you to behave that way. We expect you to... Uh, put together a team that that represents our beliefs, and you know conducts itself in a manner worthy of being a part of this institution. Is that something you can handle? Yes, it is. The second thing uh, that they discussed was you've never been a head coach before. We want you to go put together a staff that can help you run a program, and with the X's and O's of football, you know because this is your your first coaching job, period, but we're willing to take a chance and give you a head coaching job. Are you willing to do it? His answer was yes. The third thing that they addressed with him were the facilities. He was told up front, our facilities are not the best. We've had uh, two hurricanes come through. We're in in a $6 million rebuilding project. We're having to do things. Would you be willing to help, you know, generate some funds for that? He said yes. According to the interim president, he knew about the offices before he ever stepped foot on campus. He was actually not even a part of this faculty. That was not his office. He illegally went into that office because it wasn't his. He had yet to, to be officially, there, there's no nothing that allowed him in there. But he knew even prior to the video being made that that office was under renovation due to the, the hurricanes that had passed through the area. He said that was no surprise to Ed Reed. He said on top of that, he was not authorized to do any sort of a video while on campus, and yet he chose to do so anyways, which violated the first thing that they talked to him about, and that was that you were supposed to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of being a part of this organization. Yeah. So after that interview, they have Ed Reed and his representation on uh, the show. I, I, I... took it that this was the next day. I've watched both videos. I'm not 100% sure on the timing of it. But they then add Ed Reed and his representation on. 
Now, their side of the story is, you know, of course, a little bit different. They tell a different version of events. But one of the things that Ed Reed puts out there that was shocking to me is that he apparently had turned down the Jackson State head coaching job after Dion put his name in the hat and told Jackson State to go hire him. Now, if that is true, I take issue with some of Dion's situation because that makes Dion a liar. Because if, if Ed Reed is your friend, and Ed Reed is somebody that you want to put up there, you know, as a head coach and put him in a successful situation. And Jackson State is truly as bad as you claim they were. Then why in the world did you recommend to Ed Reed that he take that football job? There's too many inconsistencies with everybody's story. I think that everybody sympathized with Ed Reed because of the things that Dion had said on his way out the door going to Colorado. But now you're getting the other side of the story, even with Jackson State now coming out and saying, listen, we had conversations with Dion. This was no surprise to him. He knew what he was getting into. So that also raises my question. How long before Dion rips Colorado for not so paying him? My, my question is here for those schools is, yes, you had conversations. and But this is more so for Jackson State. You had, you had, you had conversations with Dion, yes. But what were you doing in the process? That's what. That's where I draw the line. Is it wasn't about what was discussed. We know about what was discussed. That's been out there for for so since he got Jackson there. So Jackson State, though, they were doing everything that they had told him they would do. And Obviously Dion got not. Mad. Well, no, they did. Dion wanted it to be about Dion, and he wasn't getting the spotlight enough, so he had to move on. That th- and it goes back to so, what I've said okay, about Dion. That okay, this is about Dion. So. so they didn't honor their side of the contract as far as the, the television contract that goes them paying him and his staff. They didn't do that. They didn't... They were told that they would... Uh, okay, but that's what Dion is saying. See, according to the... the no, to, that's not what Dion said. No, that's what Dion's representation... No, the, no, no, no. That wasn't Dion's represent, representation. That was other report news well, out, yeah, that but was the, outlet. That's what I'm saying. Those are people who don't know. So according to Jackson State, that is all stuff that, that Dion planted in everybody's mind as he's on his way out the door. That those were not legitimate conversations that were had. That, that that's the story. And the and the and the and here's the issue that I have with with whether or not what's true and what's not. And I don't know. I'm not saying that what Dion's saying is true or not true. But here's the issue. If what Dion is saying is true, then why did he tell Ed Reed go take that football job? If it, if it was really about he was tired of Jackson State and Ed Reed is really his friend, as Ed Reed claims, who, who's not telling the truth? And at what point are we going to draw the line with these celebrity coaches and say, we don't care who you are? Well, so that gets me, that gives me to you know, the point I was talking about earlier in the show. That I want to make here at this point uh, about Ed Reed. Ed Reed, he is, and he he talks as if he's still in the. Someone said he's talking like he's still in the huddle. Yeah, he's talking like he's talking, you know, on camera like he's still on the field. Mm-hmm. You know, he's using language and yeah, getting all fired up and. He did in the interview. They, yeah. His representation had to like, calm yeah. him down. But he's talking as if he's still on the field. So that's a big leadership thing as well. Is 
he's very emotional, and that's that's not good for leadership. Is he let his emotions get the best of him? And that right there, if they were they are a Christian school, the language he was using and everything obviously did not sit well with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very obscene, obscure language, and you don't have to use that language. But like I said, he's talking as if he's still a player, not a head coach, not a leader in that organization or for that um, for that school. He's talking as if he's one of the players. And so that's a big issue that I have with Ed Reed is he may very well have been a good football coach, you know, with the X's and O's. But leadership-wise and the way he carried himself, he, he let his emotions get the best of him. And so, when you look at that, it, it adds some uh, validity to what the the school was saying, the, the the president was saying. You know, we talked about this, and it seems that he xed every checked off everything that they talked about, and he did it incorrectly. Yeah, he went exact yeah, yeah, opposite. Yeah, he did the exact opposite. And so, this is the and, and this is the issue that we have when we two schools and. Well, schools and their faculty aren't on the same page. Yeah. If you get two different stories, who do you believe? The only thing you can do at the end of the day is is accept that there was a disagreement and both sides decided to move on. Because you're not going to get the true story anytime soon. And the only way I guess you can get the true, the true story, the real about it, is if you if you see a pattern. Yeah. Um with either one but if there's no pattern you're not you're, you're not going to get the true story well, when everybody's pointing to the fact that the players are in defense of Ed Reed well yeah because he's Ed Reed they liked him of course they're going to come out and say oh we 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 want him on campus but they don't understand that 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 at the end of the day there it is that college's lines. job to do what what's best for the college right you know, that there it goes beyond just who he is but I did think that his looping Deion Sanders into this and putting it out there that Dion told him about the Jackson State job, he apparently was offered the job, he turned down the job, all of that. I think that that's interesting to me. And if I'm Colorado, I, again, I'm not making any judgments based off of what Ed Reed said. I think yeah. Ed Reed's off his rocker right now. But I am, my, my ears are perked. You know, my, my senses are heightened. I am going to be a little bit more cautious with Dion right now and just watch and see, okay, is he yeah. going to do me like he may or may not have done some of these other schools? Yeah. Well, and I, I do think, like I said, it ends the – I think this is the last time we're going to see a player get a job just because he's a former player. Yeah, um, and you you see this – I I've, I say this about Dion is why he, uh, you know, threw the job out there to uh, Ed Reed – I think he was looking at, you know, it's a good place to start um, to get experience. I don't think he factored in the uh, what he would have considered, I guess, the complications. But he's seen it as, as it's an opportunity for you to start somewhere if you're looking to be a head, be, to be a coach and you want to get your feet wet. Jackson Jackson State is a good is yeah. a good facility has a good team. Uh, Coaches to back him as well, but it's on Ed Reed that he turned that job down. I don't think Dion factored in the complications that he had for 
specific and obvious reasons. And, and possibly not, but it's just interesting to me how close in relation some of the the, the issues supposedly were. And now you have both schools saying, well, listen, we, we told these guys up front, you know, and, and, and we... There were certain things that they're not telling the media, and and, and you're going to get that from both sides. Not neither side's going to tell you know play their hand here, uh, but I, I just think it's going to be interesting to to watch one you know how Ed Reed acts you know or what he does or doesn't do moving forward I guess, and then also does this affect the way that Colorado is kind of cautious with Dion or you know again it, it, if Dion goes out there and just does his job then this ceases to be a conversation. I think it's just going to be a matter of how does Dion react and, you know, where where does uh, Colorado go moving forward. But, okay, let's stop with the lunacy of giving players who have never coached at all head coaching jobs. <laughs> hey, there is such a difference between being an assistant and a head coach. You're a head coach, you're right. <laughs> One of the greatest things I love to be able to do was when a, a, somebody would come and gripe to me and I would say, you know what? That's above my pray grade. Go talk to the head coach. Now, Tim would always, you know, side-eye me because I'd send people his way. I, I tell him, I said, well, boss, you, you, you get paid for that. Like, that's part of your job, the PR of it. And that's why a lot of guys get those head coaching jobs and they realize, I, I don't want this job. Like, I would rather go be a coordinator somewhere. But there, there's a lot of aspects to it. Yes, there's the X's and O's. Yes, there's the in-game decisions. Now you're solely responsible but then there's the, the PR side of things. You're the one that the face of the, the team now. You have to deal primarily with the media. You have to deal with the the administration. You have to deal with the booster clubs. You have to deal with the fan. You know, all of those things come with being the head coach. And so when you take a guy who has never coached at all at any level and suddenly tell him, not only do you get to coach, but you get to be a head coach. That's ludicrous. I, I, you know, I think that that's part of Dion's problem at times with how to handle the media. He, he was an offensive coordinator at the high school. He was not a head coach, right? And you gave him a head coaching job. You know, now is that on the is that on these schools who give him the job? Absolutely. But I think that that what we're the backlash we're seeing with this. And it goes back to what I said, you know, about the Dion situation. He was not going to get an SEC job. From everything, you know, that I understood, he was not getting an SEC job because the SEC watched that and said he's not red. Like he he couldn't handle this, and we don't want him in our little circle. And so I think that you're going to have these colleges look at these situations that some of these smaller schools deal with and go, yeah, we're not we're not interested. Like we. Well, I will have, I will have to do more digging, but I brought this up, you know, a few times on the show. Is you know, with Dion, you never saw him, or if he did, you know, we didn't know about it. You know, him interview coming out of that private school, interview for any of the top high school yeah. jobs. No, he didn't. He or, wasn't. He Allen High School was looking for a head coach, a premier school in Texas. Yeah, and he didn't even get an interview for that job. That I mean, to me, if I'm a college, I'm looking at that and going, okay, if he's such a big deal as a football coach that in Texas of all places, he's front, you know, he played here, all that, he's well known here, the whole nine yards, right? If he's the guy that we think he is, then why are these other high schools not interviewing him? Why can't he get an interview at an Allen? Why can't he get an interview at one of the Dallas schools? You know, the Dallas ISD schools, uh, some of these other. 
you know, bigger name high schools, obviously he wasn't going to come down to the 3A level. I don't blame him. Not as much money in that. But generally we see a transition from something like that into one of the bigger schools, and then we see success, and, and, and they kind of go from there. Right. It was, it was the fact that he bypassed it that was interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, and that they just went for it. They, you know, they uh, they just single-handedly brought him into the fold. And, and I think that, that you're seeing that that's not the formula for a sustained relationship, you know, for, for a success. Uh, but I, to me, could be wrong, I think that this situation with Ed Reed kind of puts the nail in the coffin uh, for, for that. And, and this is different than yesterday because yesterday, well, you know, it looked like it was, you know, against Bethune-Cookman, but after you get both sides of the story, you, the more that it comes out, the less uh, it, it lands on Ed Reed's side. Well, the more you get, I think this will kind of spark the much-needed PR moves about from these organizations. I I I think it'll kind of die down. Yeah, you know, it sparked the need for it to die down because stop making these decisions based off of public relations and what you and tickets, yeah, and what you think the people want or would like. You know, make moves that's necessary that you know that's needed um because we're seeing we're seeing a lot of that across the charts in in the sports world is there's a lot more pr moves than there are necessary moves and things that make sense uh and and so maybe this like you said maybe this puts the nail in the coffin uh for you know hiring these athletes who ain't never had any kind of experience uh, coaching other than, you know, they played the game at a high level. And um, also, you know, to to die down on these PR moves, like, like let's start thinking again. Let's start, mm-hmm. you know, making the right decision, what, what fits best with our organization and our teams, yeah. not what looks good, you know. Because what's looked good, as we know now with the Ed Reed situation, is that it went sour, you know. Even over in uh, Indianapolis with the, with the coats, it went sour. And so it looked good. It sounded good, but it went sour. Yeah. You know, you can't allow that to happen to your organization. And really, you can't afford for it to happen. You, because then you waste careers, then you waste time. Mm-hmm. Valuable time was wasted right there. And and, and so now you're looking for a head, new head coach. Uh, after your guys have kind of got adjusted to one, um, just for a small second, and so now you're back in the market for a head coach, and hopefully y'all they get one you know that fits them, you know, and, and understands the situation wholly, you know, wholly. Um, but yeah, let's just die down on the PR moves here, man. <laughs> you got to, yeah, you got to. Well, I wanted to. to- Dive into the conversation that we had earlier in the show with uh, Elwin. And if you didn't get to see that live, you can go listen to it on the podcast version of the show. I, I always enjoy uh, having him on. You know, we first question I asked him was as far as his takeaway from the games. And immediately he talked about Dak Prescott. Yeah. And this is what I had said coming into the ball game. I said, let's hold off on him because, you know, everybody was, oh, Dak's back. You know, this is, this is what we've needed. He's the long-awaited savior. And I said, well, that's not... And, and, and I think that we gave Tampa Bay 
some leeway because of the way that they had dominated Kansas City in that 2020 Super Bowl. And yeah. it felt like they just got this long leash of, hey, but they stopped we, Patrick Mahomes. We gave Tampa Bay a a, a leash. we give been giving them the benefit of the doubt for two years. Yeah, and, and so I, I thought that that affected the way that we viewed Dak Prescott in that football game. Yeah. You know, I thought that, that we kind of over-exaggerated some of what he had pulled off. Not that he played terribly at all. I thought he did some things very well in that ball game, but I was I was not ready. I was pumping the brakes a little bit on that. And I said, "Well, let's see what he does with San Francisco." And what we saw with San Francisco is he went back to being the quarterback that we have seen his entire time in Dallas. You know, one of the one of the things that really got me is you know in the in the game against Tampa Bay, we saw him use his legs uh, very well, very efficiently. He picked his spots, did a good job. Uh, you know, and and made some positive plays there and we saw it early on you know with San Francisco and it was like he just shut that down he, he gave up on it he said I'm not gonna do it I'm gonna you know try and sit in the pocket and, and I've said this about him for the longest Dak's field vision is not good uh, he he doesn't see if you disguise any sort of coverage at all he so, doesn't pick it up I, I want to Pause right there because I've talked about that too. Um, pause right there because this just came to my mind. Tony, I'm not trying to be, you know, psychological on this or, but we talked about it yesterday. You know, Dak having a mental block. You know, after the injury, he runs less, uses his legs less on on plays where he should use them. He should run. He doesn't. But Tony Pollard goes down in that game, and as we know now, it wasn't just a, a high ankle sprain. It was, in fact, a broken leg. Uh, and, and the way that he got hurt was very similar to how Dak got hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'm just putting this out here as a, as, a, as a question, wondering, Dak saw that and said, yeah, no. Because that happened in the first half, right? Mm-hmm. Second half, he stopped. Yeah. I, I, I'm wondering if he's had that, seen that, and saw had a flashback, and said, "Yeah, no." And, and that's a possibility. But if that's what happened, you got to get him out of there. Yeah, like, you well, can't well and that, that you you can't keep having it. Then this is what I said: you have to get past that. That was two, three seasons ago. You have to get past that injury. And I understand that was a very brutal injury, but you have to get past. You 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 have to nut up or shut up, yeah. and. At that point, your team needed you as a leader. Because um, he's a leader. Yeah, and and he he didn't show up. And it's like I said yesterday, you know, after the show, you know, he he went on in the press conference after the game, say, you know, this uh, this is a hundred percent on me. Well, yeah, Dak, we know, but as fans and as as your teammates as well, we know when we that's 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 cool that you're taking responsibility. But what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's the thing. And Elwin had a very good point: is if there's any sort of pressure, you know, he, if there's no pressure at all, his O line holds up. He can stand back there all day and pick you apart. But if there's any kind of pressure, he's gotten to where he's not out. He won't move outside the 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 box, the pocket. He stays within the the the, the uh, tackling uh, box. He doesn't move outside. He doesn't scramble. He doesn't try to 
And he did this against Tampa Bay simply because their defense wasn't that good. Mm. But at this point, with San Fran, it was a better defense. Uh, were they better than Dallas's defense? No, but it was a better defense. You had opportunities where you could have you used your legs and you didn't. You didn't put your team in a position to win, and you've done this. This has been the same song in a different key year after year with Dak Prescott, and it's the same question year after year uh, after a, a, a playoff loss where they should have won and they didn't mm-hmm. with Dak Prescott. Is he really the guy? Is he really the guy? It's time to get rid of, of Dak Prescott. Like I said, I said the same thing Elvin said. He's a great guy. I like yeah. him. He's not. He's a nice guy. But when it comes to business and personal relationship, mm-hmm. at this point, Jerry Jones has to make a business move. Yeah. And if he doesn't make a business move, business move, it's going to be the same thing. Unless Dak can get out of his own head and play – like he's played, like he's supposed to, then you have to move on. Now, sadly, I don't think that'll happen because it's Jerry Jones. Uh, and I, You know this, I've said it many of times. Elwin said the same thing. Jerry Jones is loyal to fault. Well, and, and, and that contract, that's, that's the problem that the Cowboys are in right now, is that Jerry went on that little spree where he handed everybody a contract. You yeah. get a contract, you get a contract, and you get a contract. And he felt good about it in the moment, right? I mean, like, you know, well, of course I'm going to pay Zeke, and of course I'm going to pay Dak because it's not his fault he got hurt, so out of sympathy I'm not going to franchise tag him. I'm just going to give him the contract he wanted. And he feels good about it in the moment. But Jerry didn't think about the ramifications. Well, what if Dak's not the quarterback that you think he is? Then what? How do you move on from that? Because you're gonna, even if you were to try and trade him, you're going to have to find somebody that wants to inherit that contract. And as Elwin said, there's a lot of dead money there that if you cut him, you're still going to pay him not to play for you. Right. I think that there's so many ramifications to that. You know, and then now you have Zeke Elliott saying, well, I'll restructure my deal. I'll take a pay cut. Probably, I agree with Ellen, probably for the fans, you know, saying all the right things because, honestly, if that's how you really felt coming into the year, you would have done it prior to right. this playoff loss. Yeah. If you're Dak Prescott, you, you, you've you tried to be the leader, you know, and you've tried to step up and take responsibility. Well, how about you take responsibility by restructuring your contract and putting them in a position where they can either go sign some people or move on from you. Yeah. Because well, you're not helping the Cowboys. Is there a is. no trade clause in this contract? It's a limited no trade. Okay. Yeah, it's not a well, full, full no trade. Not to hop, not to get on that. I don't want to, I don't want to get on that right now. But what I want to talk about is, is say right here is, you know, I said yesterday, it's unfair to the guys that have taken pay cuts for years. And Especially that's the, that offensive Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. The offensive line, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, and those guys are respectfully should be the highest paid players in the league. Yeah. Bar none. And they have year after year after year taking pay cut after pay cut to be sure that they the, the team is able to get players that they need to be to perform to the high the high you know, their highest potential. And this is not fair. It's not right, rather, because they've done it for a quarterback 
and a running back who well running back who just now have decided he you know I want to take a pay cut I'm willing to take a pay cut but you've done it for a quarterback who hasn't yeah you're, you know you're old to them and, and, and yeah and, and and the thing is you you've done it just for the same results at the end of the season like he's like Elwin said there's a difference there's a big gap between the regular season and playoffs. Yep. Because in the regular season, you got a next game coming that next week. You got 17 games now. You lose one, okay, let's get it together this week and go get go back out again Sunday and, and, and make it right and let's win. You have time to evaluate. But playoffs, that's a whole different schedule. It's one and done. Either you lose here and you go home. That's the season. Mm-hmm. You pack it up and, get, and, and prepare for the next one. And playoffs, if you win a game, you're one and oh. You want to know? Yep. That's how that's how it goes. It's it's, it's a different season, and, and year in and year out for the last four years, well, the last six years, it's been the same thing with the Cowboys, and and especially in the play, especially in the playoffs, where it's they shouldn't have lost against uh, when they played the Rams. They should well. First off, they should have beat Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Thanks, uh, Mike. Yeah. Should have should have beat Green Bay, and then you should have beat uh, who? L.A. Mm-hmm. You know, you get past Seattle and you go to L.A. It's a divisional round. Should have beat L.A. And then you don't make the playoffs that year. The year after that, then you uh, you should have beat uh, yeah, you should have beat um San Francisco last yep. year. Should have beat San Francisco, and you blew that. This year, should have beat them, and so it it it's the Cowboys once again self inflicted wounds. Mm-hmm. It's not that these teams are beating the Cowboys. The defense is doing everything that they could. The defense is playing to a level to where we're keeping y'all in the us in the game. Yeah, y'all got to go out and capitalize. And and time after time again, they have failed to do so, and. It's 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 embarrassing at this point, and I said, and given the cap issues, it doesn't look like they're going it like that. Th- there's any path forward. That no. was that was you know my big takeaway from the interview was that there's no real plan here. There's no path so to, it, to say we're going to be better next year. No, and you look at that division. That division's getting better now. I know that Danny Dimes fell apart and turned into Danny Nichols, but you assume that the the Giants are going to be back. You know, yeah. that, that Brian Dabble is going to take hey, a step the, back and they're going to get that together. The commanders got on fire. They may be back, too. You know, so, you look at the commanders. Yeah, what are they going to do at quarterback? They get a new quarterback. Yeah. It's a different situation in Washington. Uh, you, you assume, you know, Philadelphia is going to be right back where they are. Right. So you, the division is passing you by the as, NF- as yeah. a whole. At the NFC is, other than the AFC, uh, with, with um, the Bills, whoever – you got the Bills, Bengals, and, and Kansas City. Yeah. You know, at the top of that, and now you got the Jaguars. You yeah, Jaguars sneaking in there. But the NFC East, and those are different conferences. Yeah. Uh, but the NFC East, um, that's the hardest division right now in football. Yes. It probably will be next year because of, like you said, these teams. They're either getting, they're going to be at where they are next year, where they are right now. Um, or they're going to be better. 
and, and they all have ways that they can improve. They have room to improve. Right. The Cowboys, because of their decisions, and that's where, you know, that's why I tell people they fall in love with these players. You've got to be very, very careful when you fall in love with a quarterback or you fall in love with a, a running back. Mm-hmm. Or, or any other, you know, even even on the defensive side of the football, some of some of these linebackers, these teams fall in love with them, and they give them these contracts, these four, five, six year deals, and the first couple of years it looks like, oh, we, you know, we've got a deal, but then you look at the back end of that contract, and they're not the same guy. No, you know, and and, and I'm leery of giving a running back a second contract, and here's why: because if he's that good. He's been that good, and he's been that good. That yeah. means he's been used and used and used, and and running backs only have so many carries in them. Eventually, that that, that ceases. The ability you watch Ezekiel Elliott right now, he runs to the line and he stops. There yeah. was a day when he could stop, turn on a dime, hit the gap, and go. Now he stops. And there's no he can't he he's not he's not able to pivot he's not able to make some of the moves that he's made in the past he's not a running back that is very dangerous in space he's straight downhill between the tackles that's all he's got left in him that's it yeah and and so you're you're very cautious with Tony Pollard you know free agency's looming there's been some talk about possibly using the franchise tag on him I think that became a little bit more likely because of the injury. Mm-hmm. Because you're not real sure what would the market even be with him. Maybe that would cool off. But but even with him, as athletic as he is, as dangerous as I think he is of a player out in space, I've got the same reservations about giving him a big second contract. Right. You know, I think you, you've got to, if you're bringing him back, I think you have to franchise tag him, you know, pay him what you're going to pay him, but... but but not break the bank, see if he's healthy, and then maybe have some discussions next year. Right. But you're even seeing this now with Lamar Jackson, that because he's treated himself almost like a running back, they're very cautious about that second contract. You better be sure, if you're these NFL franchises and and you're looking to commit, especially to that quarterback, you better be sure that he's a championship-caliber quarterback because if not, you have nowhere to go. Yeah, you're you're the Cowboys so right it, now. You have nowhere to go. Yeah, it's like they've gridlocked themselves for another year or two. Yeah, and and so and look at the careers that you're going to waste. CD Lamb, Michael Parsons, Micah Parsons. <coughs> I mean, you, you, Tyron Smith, Zach Tyron, Martin. I mean, Tyler Biotish, uh, Leighton Vanderish. Leighton Vanderish. <laughs> you, you wasted Dan Quinn. Yeah, you know, and his his job, and that was the other. But see, this that's the thing. This is why I I, I asked the question yesterday is. Whether or not anybody has asked Jerry these questions is because it's, like I said, there's one common de- denominator in this whole thing, and it's Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. And you you would almost guess that, or hope that he sees it by now, right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but no one has asked him, Jerry, remove, are you going to remove you remove yourself from this equation? Are you going to take a step back? Do you think you should? Because I think you should. Oh, absolutely. I think it. I very well. And I, it, it was good to hear Elwin say that because I wasn't the only one thinking it. Jerry Jones should have taken needs to take a step back or away from being GM. He knows nothing about football. He's an old tycoon. Yeah. All he needs. All Jerry Jones needs to do at this point is 
sign the checks. Yeah. Sign the checks. Every other owner is doing it. Why do you always yeah. feel that you Well, I don't care how much money you make. Sign the checks. That should be your job. The owner team and sign the checks. But stop getting in these head coaches' way. Yeah. He's getting in the way. And, and he's and, constantly undercutting them. Yes. You know, on his radio show and press conferences, all of those things, constantly undercutting them. But if, like I, if I'm a head coach and I'm looking for a job, I'm not going to the Dallas Cowboys. No, but it, speaking of that, and I'll get to that in just a second, I thought his his comments on Sean Payton were very interesting. Now, I asked him, uh, it, for those of you that may not have been able to hear the interview, I did ask him if there was any chance of uh, Mike McCarthy taking over the play calling, and he said no, and not only did he say no, he said Jerry Jones doesn't trust him. So then why is he still your head coach? You brought him in as an offensive-minded head football coach, and you're not going to let him but Jerry, call the play? Jerry Jones hasn't trusted anybody. But see, that's the... But for him to tell Mike McCarthy, you can't take over play calling duties. And, and I, I mean, can I blame him? I don't know, because McCarthy says that the, the last play was his idea. Now, it was interesting to me. I, I do want to touch on that last play here just for, for a second. They stuck with it after the 49ers called the timeout. Yeah. Because the 49ers were not prepared for that formation at all. If you get the playoff there, I think you have a chance. Yeah. I'm not saying it would have worked, but I think you had a better chance. I think once they got their bearings, called the timeout, put things together, sent it back out there, I think you have to get away well, from that. Well, they had seen Tavon, uh, Cavante Turpin out there. As and that they, scared them. And they knew... Well, the second time, it's the fact, you're right. Why did they change it? Because they saw he was still out there. Well, we know that's going to him. He's the fastest guy yep. on the field. It's going straight to him. And the other thing about that formation, so Zeke was not eligible to receive a pass, but he was eligible because of his jersey number to receive a pitch. That's why they had him lined up at center. And, and Mike McCarthy says, well, you know, uh, we practiced that play this week. It didn't turn out the way we practiced it. Here's why. You didn't practice that for a bull rush on Ezekiel Elliott. You yeah. practiced it assuming that that guy's going to drop back in coverage right. and give Elliott space to then come across the field to one side or the other, receive the pitch, and get out and make something happen. That's what you expected. Where it all fell apart, he is absolutely bull rush. He falls flat on his rear end because yeah. he wasn't expecting that at all. He falls flat on his rear end, so now you've got pressure on Dak. Dak doesn't go to his man. He just goes to the first guy he sees open because he, he realizes we don't have time. we're not in this playoff. Like, I've just got to get rid of the football and hope for the best. So the whole deal was designed for everybody then to drop back into coverage. Now, why in the world you would ever do that, assuming that they're not just going to man up on your running back, who you've suddenly put at center for you know whatever reason that may be, it, it, that was ludicrous to me. But like I said, the fact that you stuck with the play after the timeout, I, yeah. I, I didn't understand that at all. Just go to a regular I, formation yeah, and do what and, you got to do. But here's the thing. That's one play, right? That's one play. It was, it, was it smart? No. But that's one play. And the thing is, with Mike McCarthy... I don't see why Jerry wouldn't trust him as many of the years as he carved him up with the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers. But I, th- you said the key word. Yeah. I think now everybody is starting to assume. When, and, and this is why nobody really understood how Mike McCarthy got the job. 
in the first place in Dallas. Because that job was Lincoln Riley's. That job, he, yeah. they were going to hire, the next day there was going to be another conversation, Lincoln Riley was going to be the next head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys. It was down to him and Urban Meyer, and it seemed that Jerry was going to hire Lincoln Riley. You know, for his offensive prowess and all that. And goodness knows what happens then, because maybe you get a different quarterback. You know, I, I think there was a, a whole conversation behind the scenes of if you bring in Lincoln Riley. That job was going to him. Okay, and then suddenly Mike McCarthy flies in on a whim, says, you know, I caught the sleepover at Jerry's because he stays the night at Jerry's house. They have whatever kind of conversation, and the next thing everybody else knows, 24 hours later, Mike McCarthy's at the podium being announced as the next head football coach of the Dallas Cowboys. And there was even discussions then about, can he handle this job? Like, is he who we think he is as an offensive-minded football coach. You know, you, you heard all the stories about how he had spent the last year in his home with an office and, you know, he had all of these gurus come in and they all sat down every day from the crack of dawn till, you know, late at night drawing up football plays, studying the film, getting the analytics together. And so he kind of took over saying, I'm going to bring a renaissance to football because I've spent a whole year studying. And then the first thing he does is say, Kellen Moore's going to call the plays. Well, if you spent a whole year putting together this magical playbook that you think that you've got because you've studied everything going on in the NFL, why not use those plays? And so now I think we're starting to see more and more of this sense, or get more and more of this sense, that Aaron Rodgers had a lot to do with the Green Bay Packers. That 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 success oh, yeah, that most, we gave Mike McCarthy was really but, Aaron but Rodgers. Most definitely, but when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you have a confidence to call those plays, right? But he, I agree. But I think he gave the impression that he had put together a different playbook because they were, you know, at, towards the end in, in Green Bay, there was, you know, the sense that well, he's gotten stale. The league's kind of caught up with his his philosophies and his approaches. So he gave the impression that, hey, I've revolutionized my way of thinking. But then he doesn't even call the plays. And, and so he became more of the CEO type of head coach, you know, that makes the decisions about when to call a timeout, yeah. when to go for two, when to do this, and when to... And he, and he kind of took on more of that role that we hadn't seen from him previously. So I've just got well, some questions about why did you hire him then? Well, my... <laughs> How many head? Are there a lot of head coaches now that call their play their own yes. plays? Yeah. So how many of them are in the, all are in the playoffs right now? Andy Reid calls his own plays. Nick Sirianni calls his own plays. Uh, uh, the head coach in uh, Cincinnati he calls the plays over there. Uh, I I'm blanking on Zach. Uh, is it Zach Taylor? I believe is his name. I'm, bl- I'm so. blanking on I think it. so. Let's see. I'm trying to think. Uh, let me go down the list here. Who's still in the playoffs? San Francisco. Um, Kyle Shanahan calls his own plays. So, I mean, that's every- everybody. So Cowboys I- were actually the- out of the four. I believe all four of the coaches. Yeah. If I'm not, I know for a fact Andy Reid, Sirianni, and Kyle Shanahan call plays. I believe that Zach Martin over there, or uh, uh, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati calls his so, own plays as well. out of everybody, you're telling me that the Cowboys – had or the only team that has a head coach that did, doesn't call his own. No, coach. I'm not saying the whole league. I mean because. Uh, well, I'm saying in the playoffs. Uh yes, because Doug Peterson called his own plays. 
in Jacksonville. Dabal calls his own place. Dabal calls his own place in New York. Minnesota. Um, Minnesota guy. I, I'm trying. I'm blanking on him, but he calls his own plays in Minnesota. Now Buffalo did not. McDermott does not call because he's a defensive guy. So okay. he's got an offensive coordinator that calls the plays. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because he's a de- yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But Mike McCarthy is a head coach. He's not a defensive yeah. guy. He's not an offensive guy. Yeah, well, he was an offensive guy prior to being a head yeah. coach. So but, yeah. Because my brother brought that that same point up. Uh. Monday, I'm Monday, Sunday after the game, and he was like, Mike McCarthy. He just he's become just stands there, you know. If, that's if, literally all he does. If Dan Quinn calls the defense and Kellen Moore calls the offense, what does Mike McCarthy do? That's what I'm saying. It's down that he just makes the decisions yeah. on the timeouts and, and challenges and, and all that. And so, Jerry, it's detrimental. I mean, for Jerry because. <laughs> You you can't. I understand the 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 you know what it will take to get Sean Payton, but because you're looking at this point from all accounts, twenty to twenty five million dollars a year, he's going to be the highest paid coach in the NFL. And then now the ante has been upped as far as the draft picks that the Saints are going to require. And I think a large part. So there was a consensus that if you waited till the end of this season that the asking price would be slightly less than if you would have got him when he was fresh off the press, had just retired. Yeah. And and that was kind of the thought process that Drew's just going to play this out, play the long game, see what McCarthy does, kind of stand pat with the team, and then go get his guy. And that hasn't happened yet. Now, it's interesting to me that there are reports or rumors about these under-the-table conversations because on the mainstream media side, that's very quiet, but... but that there are conversations within the Cowboys circle that hey, there there have at least been some under the table negotiations. Right. That, hey, this is still a possibility, and that's interesting to me because that was my my question about okay, with it being made public now, kind of what the asking price is going to be from a trade standpoint, and then from what Sean Payton is talking about, if he's already though had conversations with Jerry Jones. Jerry knows what Sean's price is. Mm-hmm. Now, he may have been waiting to see what New Orleans' asking price was going to be, but he already knew what Sean was going to ask as far as a contract was concerned and what Sean's going to require as far as control and all of that. So the fact that there are even rumors out there that there could still be some sort of a conversation is concerning to me if you're Mike McCarthy. Because that tells me, even if you keep me, you've had conversations that I wasn't a part oh, of yeah. with a guy... And you clearly want to replace me. Yeah. I, I just don't see where this all works out for, for because the Because then there's a, that strains the relationship between head coach and owner. Yeah. That was already uneasy yeah. coming into the year because right. he wouldn't commit to Mike McCarthy. Right. So, I, I don't know. With Jerry Jones, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a frustrating deal. And you hate it for those players. Because like you said, careers have been wasted. And... You don't waste a career like Michael Parsons. You don't waste a career like Zach Martin, Tyron Smith, and C.D. Lamb, uh, Zeke, and all this. You don't you don't waste careers like that. Mm-hmm. You know those are those are first those are your first round picks. Yeah, Dak is your fourth round. That was never really I guess technically in football terms was never supposed to be there in that position. 
Yeah, he was your yeah, backup. That was, that was just upside. Like if he yeah, turned he was out your, to be good. Yeah, he was your third string guy. Fourth round. That's different. But Zeke, CD, Zach Martin, Tyron, um, Gallup. And, well, no, Gallup was a fourth round pick. Well, yeah, but he became kind of a, well the expectations yeah. that you up the ante on him. And, and Michael Parsons, you don't waste careers like that. Those are yeah. your first round. You want to get something out of out of it for your first round picks. And as as far as for the last ten plus years, that hasn't been so. Tyron Smith is on his last leg. He maybe has another good season, maybe two, maybe two left in him. Mm-hmm. And Zach Martin still has a while to go. He can he can play for a while, but you're not. There's been no, and they you, there's been nothing to 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 show forth their success other than some Pro Bowls and all Ameri- or all Pro picks. Yeah, that's 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 it. That's it, yeah. It, that, and, you're and, exactly right. And Stat a couple, yeah, and a couple of playoff wins. Well, one really. A couple for. I don't even know how many Tyron. Tyron probably has three. I would venture to say four. Yeah, but that's still low for how long he's been in the NFL and how oh, yeah. great of a job he's done. So, at this point, man, I'm not. I'm, I don't want to just go out on the limb and say Jerry doesn't care about his players, but the job that he's doing kind of it, it kind of is, I, is I saying think, that. I think well, I think Jerry has finally reached a point he just doesn't know what to do because step, he, you know. Okay, that's fine, but that's the point. You don't know what to do. Step down. Yeah, yeah, that would. Be, it's that. It's that simple. You don't know what to do. Take hands off of it. Yeah. And, and the last thing I wanted to kind of touch on before we wrap up the show here today, as far as the interview is concerned with Evelyn, is the fact that it, it definitely looks like D'Amico Ryan's maybe the next head coach in Houston. Now, <laughs> where did that come from? Well, you know, I, I knew that he was getting an interview, and it definitely felt like Sean Payton's not going there because of the they have no draft capital. They, they're not going to pay him that kind of money. Uh, and you just kind of looked at everybody else that they had interviewed, and that makes sense to me. But where I have reservations and we talked about this with Elwin is okay what about Bryce Young does yeah. he you know does he actually listen to everybody that's telling him you don't want to go to Houston now I don't know that you, you don't want to go to Chicago but we're still not even sure if Chicago would draft him you know what is Chicago going to do at the one spot if I'm one of the other teams right now that's in need of a quarterback I'm calling Chicago today mm-hmm. and saying what's it going to take to get that one spot because you're you got to operate on the assumption he doesn't want to go to Houston, or maybe you call Houston and see if Houston wants to trade down. Because he if he indicates at all that he doesn't want to play there, or it comes out that they're going to go with a defensive minded guy, you you would think that he's going to want to go where there's an offensive minded guy as the head. Football see, that's player. where <laughs> that's where these top quarterbacks. It's 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 a blessing and a curse for them. It's a blessing that they're being they're that top choice. You know they're yeah. going to be drafted high, uh, number one or two, whatever. But it's a curse. Is the team that you go to is because you're seeing more and more defensive guys get the job than offensive guys. Mm-hmm. And so for these quarterbacks, you're looking for an offensive minded coach, head coach. 
who can develop you as a pro as a pro quarterback and push you forward. But you're get starting to get these teams that well, there's a defensive head coach. There, in order for me to be developed, there has to be a good quarterback coach or a good offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and. He that's that's not ideal for Houston. They're in a bad, bad position all the way around. Yeah, uh, because if you don't get Bryce Young, what do you do? You know there there are other guys out there, but at this point, you would guess that they will reach for Bryce Young. Now it would be shocking if they didn't, but at this point, you you would think they are going to reach for Bryce Young and. Chicago should not be sitting at number one. Chicago, like you said, if I was somebody else that's looking for a quarterback, I would be calling and say, listen, what do you want? What can we give you for that number one pick? Yeah, to get them to move off of that yeah, spot. Because they're not they don't need it. You know? And, and if you're Houston, do you force Bryce Young's hand to go on and draft him and see if he's gonna pull an Eli Manning and force a trade? Yeah. You know, because that was the scenario that, that Ellen brought up that we've seen that. And does that happen again? I I think this could get really interesting the, the closer we get to yeah. the draft, the further along we get as you start seeing these conversations and these head coach hirings start falling into place. Because if I'm Carolina, if you wind up with Sean Payton, the first phone call Sean Payton I think he makes is to go get that number one pick. He wants Bryce Young to be his quarterback. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that that is a match made in heaven if you're, if you're Sean Payton – uh, and of course, if you're Bryce Young, yeah. But we had a great show today. Yeah, we did. Um, great interview with Elwin. Kind of uh, solidified some um, some topics that we have been talking about on and off the air. Um, one thing that stuck out to me is um, about that call is uh, you know his comments about how adamant Jerry is about keeping people that he likes. Yeah. Until the last minute, and uh, and so that's something that we you know we'll be keep, uh, keeping up with uh, throughout the remainder of the week. Is what's going to happen in Dallas? I mean, it's like they've backed themselves into a hole, um, into into a wall as well, and, and, and they and can't you, get off. You run the danger, and this is where I never thought the Cowboys would get. If you're not careful, you become irrelevant. Yep. Because you're you're gonna be one of those middling teams, and those are the teams that nobody talks about. If you're bad enough, we talk about you because we assume you're gonna do better. Well, they if be- you're good enough, you're talked about because you're winning football games. Yeah. But if you're a middling team, even if you're the Dallas Cowboys, you become irrelevant. That happened for a while back after the '90s in the early 2000s. Yeah. With G- uh, Drew Bledsoe. Yep. It wasn't until uh, Tony Romo came along that they started getting relevancy again. And he started having to hire guys to try and sell yeah. tickets. So, so I, I think that's interesting. Yeah. Something something to watch but, uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. Um, but there's some NBA games tonight that we'll be catching up on. Uh, I believe so. I think the Lakers either – no, the Lakers play tomorrow. Yeah, they got two days off. Yeah, they got They're two days the, off. the easy part of the schedule right Yeah, now. they got they play tomorrow night. But um, – we Just, will be talking about that trade, though. Like, trade. Yeah, trade yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I want to talk about that tomorrow yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that trade. I think it's a good trade, but I just want to see how he's, that guy's going to play if he plays. Um, but, yeah, man, good show. Some some interesting thing. Good to have uh, 
viewers, I, viewers, uh, some interaction. Uh, yeah, some good interaction, good questions, good good points made today, uh, and questions. So keep that coming, and, uh, and don't forget we're trying to make the push to a thousand to a thousand on TikTok. Still eighteen shy. Hop on there, like our videos, hit the follow button, share it, get the word out so that we can start going live on there. Keep up with us wherever you get your podcast on all of our social media platforms uh, because we're here to, to keep you updated, keep covering sports, and we will see you 9 to 11 uh, tomorrow morning. All right, guys. Peace out.